Dr. Carl Truman is a uh, professor at Grove City College there in the western part of the state. He has written a couple years ago in 2020, I guess it was published, probably one of the most important books for understanding the times in which we live in, called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. It's a lengthy book coming in at some 400 pages and dense reading, and yet it is so helpful for understanding this present age that we are in. He opens this book this way in his introduction. He says, the origins of this book lie in my curiosity about how and why a particular statement has come to be regarded as coherent and meaningful. And that statement is this, I am a woman trapped in a man's body. Truman writes, my grandfather died in 1994, less than 30 years ago, and yet, had he ever heard that sentence uttered in his presence, I have little doubt that he would have burst out laughing and consider it a piece of incoherent gibberish. And yet today, it is a sentence that many in our society regard as not only meaningful, it's so significant that to deny it or question it in some way is to reveal oneself as stupid, immoral, or subject to yet another irrational phobia. And those who think of it as meaningful are not restricted to the veterans of college seminars on queer theory or French post-structuralism. They are ordinary people with little or no direct knowledge of the critical postmodern philosophies. His advocates swagger along the corridors of our most hallowed centers of learning. Truman's point there in that opening of his book is pretty simple. It's not just pointy-headed academics. View this phrase as plausible, I am a woman trapped in a man's body, but it's ordinary people who think nothing of using this phrase, who think nothing of, of uttering this term. In fact, if you think about it, our beloved commonwealth here, our own state, has often been at the center of this very controversy. Former health secretary now serves as the highest ranking transgender member in the federal government. Despite a less than perfect record when it came to the COVID pandemic, this individual has been promoted now and serves in a high-ranking position. We have a national champion swimmer from our flagship university, the University of Pennsylvania, who dominated competition despite the fact this person is biologically male. These statements coincide with what the President of the United States uttered in 2020 as he was running for office. He issued a tweet which is 
really come to stand and symbolize what his administration is about when he said this, let's be clear. Transgender equality is the civil rights issue of our time. There is no room for compromise when it comes to basic human rights. Read this, and maybe this will shock you, but I agree with him, especially that last part, or at least I should say on that last part. There is no room for compromise when it comes to basic human rights. That's why I believe that every life, born or pre-born or unborn, should have a chance of life. That's why we should protect the dignity and value of every human being. But my belief that there is no compromise when it comes to Basic human rights is founded not in destroying the foundations of civilization, which is what I believe that those in our community seem to be bound and destined to do, but rather it is founded in affirming these foundations. These foundations that are seen right here in the very beginning as God created man and woman. I want to use this day and occasion of where we have been in our study of Genesis. And if you're new here or just visiting, we've been going through the book of Genesis. In the last few weeks, we have been in chapters 18 to 19 looking at the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so I want to take that occasion, this occasion of being Mother's Day, to highlight and affirm the beauty and dignity of what God has created. Notice this verse here with me in Genesis 1.26, where it says, And then God said, Let us make man in our image. Sorry, I'm reading ahead here more than what I have in the text. After our likeness. Verse 27, So God created man in his own image. The image of God, He created him, male and female, He created them. Notice those words there. We see in these, this word in chapter, or verse 27, I should say, three things. First of all, that God created humanity. That God created humanity in His image. And then that God created male and female. And those are my points here this morning. If you want to write them down or wait, or if you want to write them down and check out and check on Facebook, please don't do that. But here you go. Let's look at them this morning. First of all, God created humanity. God created a humanity. Now, when we think about that phrase, we could think about it in a couple of ways. Apostle Paul states these words in Romans chapter 9. But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? Paul, in using these words, Romans chapter 9 is quoting from the Old Testament, both in Isaiah and Jeremiah, who Isaiah says in Isaiah 64, verse 8, But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hands. 
Jeremiah quotes this and he says, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in a potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Again, Paul uses these words and says, has the potter no right to do with the clay what he wants to? Has the potter not any right to dictate how the clay is going to be fashioned and who is the clay to look at the potter and say, what are you doing in my life? The point of this saying is very clear and easy to understand, isn't it? This morning as I get up every single morning, I usually the first thing I do is grab a plastic drinking glass out of our cabinet, fill it with water, drink it. Second thing I do is grab, grab a Ceramic coffee mug. Fill it not with water, but the water of life and coffee. I fill it up. I drink it. Come here to church this morning and I got a styrofoam coffee cup and drink it again because sometimes when you are here at this church, the preacher tends to, well, you just need two cups of coffee sometime to make it. So that's pretty bad because I'm a preacher, right? Drunk out of a styrofoam cup, and right here this morning I have a, a glass water cup again that I will sip on throughout this sermon. And none of them, can you believe it or not, have, have dared look at me and said, I really don't want to hold your coffee or your water this morning. Now you'll know if they do because I won't be here. I'll be in a padded cell somewhere. But they don't. They, they just do what they were designed to do. And the point is, is pretty easy. They hold liquids. They hold beverages, okay? Your, your cereal bowl, again, with your corn pops or your rice krispies or whatever you ate this morning, did what it was designed to do. And once they stop functioning the way that they are designed to function, in other words, once I grab a glass out of the, the cabinet and I drop it on the floor and it shatters, as I've been prone to do before, guess what we Clean up the mess, throw it in the trash. It's no good. The point is pretty simple. How is it that we can dare go to God and look at Him and say, I don't like what you are doing with me. I don't care how you made me. I don't like it. I want to be different than what I am. I am something different than how you created me. Yeah, we live in a society that thinks that's entirely permissible. And so that is one aspect. We can look at this phrase that God created humanity in that way, but let's not simply dwell on that aspect. Let's consider it from this viewpoint. And that is this. We were created by God. We were created by God. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. If you go somewhere outside of Pennsylvania, I'm told that there's a big, red, orange, fiery thing in the sky called the sun. Like I said, we don't have it here. It just, we just have rain clouds. One has permanently settled over you get up and you look, 
You see early in the morning and you see the beauty, majesty of God in our window there. Our front room, big bay window or whatever it's called, points toward the east. I can see the, the sun rising over the mountains and I, and I realize there is a great and an awesome God out there. The sun setting over the ocean, the beauty, the majesty at the time that I was out in Long Beach, California, and you can see the, the beauty of the ocean, the sun setting on it. You realize what a great and an awesome God that there is. The heavens are declaring its glory. And then Psalm 8 says, When I look at the heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? Majesty of this universe, the beauty of the stars, the awesomeness of creation. And yet, God looks at man and says, I am mindful of us and I care for us. What is humanity that you are mindful of Him? Jesus goes on in this point. He, he says the very same thing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in the barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And yet your, your, your Father that is in heaven, somehow all of these birds are showing up. And Mary and I were coming home yesterday evening and we could, was it yesterday evening, whenever it was, we could hear a song, a bird of a song. And, I, and we're looking at each other like, what is that bird that's out there? As far as I know, it doesn't one that was going to eat us alive. We're still here, but, but we heard it. And it's easy for us to say, well, of course, God feeds the birds. I mean, at least in our house, we, God uses us to feed them. And the bird feeders, and that's fine. And yet before we were doing it, God was feeding these birds. And he says, aren't you more valuable than they are? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yeah, here we are driving around seeing the beauty of the flowers grow in the springtime in the air. The goodness and glory of God. And we go back to Psalm 8 and we consider the fact that God has created and ordered this world to operate as it does. That the sun would be at this particular angle to bring the warmth and life and beauty that is the springtime. And what is humanity that God would care for them? And yet He does. He is mindful of us. He sees each. And every one of us found out from living out here that down in Martin Guitar, they have the plant down in Mexico somewhere where the cheap guitars are made. They have the plant here in Nazareth where the standard nice guitars are made. And then if you have the money and you're a big name rock star, country music star, you can come in. They have this special place. And they will form and fashion you a guitar, make it as nice and as wonderful as you want it to be. Crafted by master craftsmen who will make you sound wonderful. 
then some very good sound technicians in the back. I read where the Stradivarius violins made in the 1700s, worth millions of dollars. People saying there will never, ever be a craftsman like that. We read every once in a while of, of paintings that are being sold for millions of dollars in auctions because they bear the name Rembrandt or Van Gogh. Sculptures that are priceless because the name Michelangelo is attached to them. How much more as we look at each and every one of us do we see the fingerprint and the handiwork of an almighty and awesome God God created humanity. It is God Himself who reached down and with His fingers grabbed a pile of dirt and made out of it humanity and all of its beauty and splendor. You are not a knock knockoff made in a sweatshop in a third world country. You have been designed by a loving and wise master builder who has formed and fashioned you exactly how He wanted to make your life. God has made you. God has created you. This goes right into my second point, which is this, that God created humanity in His image. God not only created humanity, but He created us in His image. Imago Dei, the image of God. Of all the creatures that God has made, only humans are considered to be made in the image of God. The image of God means a man is like God. Humanity is like God. It represents God. Of course, we don't mean that God that we are like God in every facet. We know that God is spirit. He does not have a body. So when we talk about the hand of God or the eyes of God, we're not using that in a literal fashion. But we also know that man is like God in terms of intellectual ability, moral purity, spiritual nature, dominion over the earth, creativity, ability to make ethical choices, and immortality. God has made us different. Somehow, whether you think we came from a monkey or whatever, you still cannot explain to anyone logically how it is that monkeys do nothing more than swing in trees. Sometimes they'll pick up their own waist and throw it at each other. We're different. We're different. We're, we're made in the image of God. We're made in the likeness of God. And this passage is clearly showing us that mankind is the apex of the created order. The whole narrative is moving towards the creation of man. Everything is made for man's benefit. Image of God means that in some sense, men and women resemble God. In the words of the New American Commentator, it is the Imago Dei that defines the human. Humanity is unique and uniquely represents God. Mankind is creature. He's not divine, but made alive by the divine in breathing. Although all life is valuable, human life is sacred, and it requires the severest penalty of violating. 
Since all human life is created in the image of God, there is no person or class of human beings lesser, lesser than others. That's why it's a heinous sin. When we discriminate, when we look down upon, we mock and we ridicule other human beings. We dare think that we are superior than someone else. It is a sin in the eyes of God. James himself said in James 3, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil. It's full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. How? How do we think we can do that? We can stand there and sing, I love you, Lord, your mercies never fail, whatever that song says. Walk out of here and say, get away from me, person. Get away from me. You don't look like me. You're dressed different than I am. James said, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing my brothers. This ought not to be so. Point of this is this, you have worth and meaning because you were created in the image of God. And if you don't believe this, look at Hebrews chapter 2. The writer says it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of whom we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. The writer is saying that the world that is to come is not for angels, but for us as humans. And he goes on, he states these words in verse 14, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, and through death he might destroy the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus came and became a human being. He lived here on earth and he died the death that we deserve to die. Therefore, we have victory over death and then the linchpin. Verse 16, for surely, surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. In other words, the death that Jesus died on the cross we celebrated just a few short weeks ago, was not done to and for an angel. It was done by a man, a God who came and took on flesh and died so that you and I may not have to face death forever. Why would God do that if he did not care? for you and I in the way that He does. We are the ones that Christ came in the likeness of so that He might defeat death once and for all. And through faith in Christ, you can know that you have infinite dignity and value 
and were. You have meaning. Your life has meaning. Your life has purpose. Christ Jesus died for you. God gave his son for you. Christ Christ came and walked on this earth feeling all of the hardships and pains and sorrows that we feel so that we might know eternal life. God made you in his image. Made you in his image in the gender that he gave to you. And that is my third point here this morning. God created mankind. He created us in his image and he created us male and female. God created male and female. Again, there are some things that we can think about when we think about this point. That is this. First of all, God created male And God created female. God did not create a man. And as an afterthought, I thought, well, I got some extra body parts here. Maybe I'll just create a woman. Remember growing up, my mother would make pies and pie crust. She would take the leftover crust and would roll it out and cut it up and throw cinnamon and sugar on it and throw it in the oven for a few minutes. Hola, beautiful, tasty snack. It was leftover pie crust. I mean, what are you going to do with it? We don't waste it. We don't want to just throw it away. So, so we'll throw some cinnamon and sugar on it, and it worked out great. God's creation is not that he created man and said, well, maybe I, you know, I don't know what else to do, so maybe I'll just throw together a woman here. God's creation of mankind was not just limited to males. He also created females. The female body and gender is not an accident. It is not leftovers from men. Rather, God has designed us specifically. Whatever you are, whatever gender you are, is the result of a loving and a good and faithful Father. The Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood has a journal that they print every once in a while. In the fall of 2020, they printed an article in this journal called Sameness and Distinction, Rethinking Assumptions About God's Design of Men and Women. There's a paragraph in this article that reads like this. He says, when Adam speaks in Genesis 2, he says the woman is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Though we often speak of men and women as though the two sexes couldn't possibly be more distinct, the truth is just the opposite. Not only are men and women not completely different, but in all of creation there is nothing more like man than woman. This is the stated reason Eve was created. In naming the animals, Adam saw his need for someone like him. Not his need for someone different. Moreover, God recognized Adam's need for someone who was complementary to him. Who would be his perfect partner. God realized that Adam needed someone like him. As much as Fido is a wonderful partner, they will never suffice for another human being. 
As much as your cat is wonderful and loving, and he doesn't talk back to you, I mean, he stares at you with those eyes and just kind of freaks you out, but as much as you may love your pet lizard, and if you are, come up after church and we'll pray for you. These will never, never take the place of that individual in your life that is made in your image that is made like you. That's why Paul said in Galatians and Colossians, that in Galatians and Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male or female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. Colossians, he says, there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all. And he is in all. Both of these verses are telling us that in Christ everyone is equal. Everyone matters. Everyone has worth and value. And despite what people in our world may say, the fact of the matter is Christianity has done more to elevate the status of women than any other ancient culture did. Why do you think Jesus appeared to women? After his resurrection. Because trust me, back then if you, want, if you ladies were to go in the court and say, I saw a murder, they would look at you and say, your voice doesn't count, get out of here. And yet Jesus, there in the garden, shows up to, to two ladies named Mary. What is he doing but affirming their beauty and their dignity? confounding the wisdom of the age by saying I have brought in a new reality see in Christ everyone is equal everyone matters everyone has worth and value but it also reminds us of this fact men and women are created differently he created male and female and this distinction is crucial and it is vital and it is a recurring theme throughout the Scriptures. Some of you grew up in a fundamentalist context. And this verse here in Deuteronomy chapter 22 was used and you're bludgeoned over the head where it says these words in Deuteronomy 22.5 A woman shall not wear a man's garment. Nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak, for whatever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. Again, you grew up in a context where this was used, and you're told that if you're a woman, you had to wear skirts all the time. You couldn't wear pants, and if you wore a pair of pants, you were going to hell. Fortunately, this is a very narrow-minded reading of the Scripture. Ignores the fact that there are thousands of years of human history, billions of people who have existed in thousands of different cultures, and not all of them wear jeans and skirts like we may in the West. But the point of the passage is there for a reason, and the broader context is this. There is a distinction between men and women. Paul reiterates his point in 1 Corinthians 11, highlighting the distinctiveness of genders. Ephesians 5 does the exact same things. The God 
although male and female, I should say, hold in common the same unique God-given status as image bearers, there is an inherent distinction within the human family by virtue of their different sexual roles, and this implies that other distinctions are present. Again, from that article there, The Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, recognizing the inherent strengths of each sex, grasping the beauty of God's complementary design for men and women, fosters human flourishing. To recognize the propensities and strength inherent to either sex demonstrates the need for both sexes. Our aim should be to realize a robust complementarianism that affirms men and women as both valuable and necessary. At the same time, we discern our distinctions to allow men and women to flourish as they live their lives with the grain, as it were, of God's design. See, the simple fact is we need each other and God has created you the way that he has. He has made your life with purpose and meaning and value and worth. And the question is, why is it that you would go and say to God, why have you made me the way that you have? I choose i want to be something different god has created you he's lovingly fashioned you and formed and shaped you when we finish with this words we affirm the dignity and the value of every single person we believe that every person is created the image of God. Furthermore, we affirm the dignity and the role of each gender. You are not an accident. You are a beautiful masterpiece. As a church, we stand here this morning and we say, we will never walk away from God's design and His creation for us. We will use our place as a church to mold and to shape and to fashion our young men and women to help them to realize that they bear the image of God in their lives. There will be a support and a blessing to those of you ladies struggling to raise your children. We will encourage you men to be leaders of your home, leaders of your family, to teach your children, to pray with them, to share the word of God with them, to sit next to them in church and to worship God together with them. We encourage these roles that God has given. If you're here today and maybe you've struggled with this issue in your life, I pray Pray before you make any rash decision that you will talk with your parents, talk to myself, talk with someone that can help you realize how wonderful and precious you are in the image of God.
we as a church will stand strong on this. We will not degrade or tear down or look at someone who's suffering from gender dysphoria, call them a freak or call them a weirdo or run them out of our midst. If you encounter somebody in your life, I pray that you will love them, that you will be Christ to them, that you will do your best to share with them the love of Christ. And as David said it so wonderfully this morning in his prayer, there's not one sin greater than the other. You will stand beside them and help them as introduce them to a loving and gracious God. At the same time, when culture tells us that this is the way we must live and the way we must act, we will stand here and say, no. We will stand on God's original foundation. Because you see, the end of chapter 1 there in Genesis says these words, God saw everything that He created, and it was good. It was very good. God's creation is good. The words of the writer of Proverbs in Proverbs 31, verse 30 and 31. says this, Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hand, her works praise her in the gates. All of you that fear God, you ladies that are here, you're walking in the fear of God, maybe you're a teenager, a young lady, doing your best to serve God in the middle of your school. We praise you this morning. Those of you that are here that are raising your children and they're turning your hair gray faster and you can hide it but you're here this morning and you're tired and you're weary and you didn't want to come but you came because you know your children need to hear about Jesus we praise you this morning for those of you that are older and your children are gone speak to them as adults as colleagues they still look at you your mom and dad, and they, they still honor and respect you, and we praise you for the guidance and wisdom. Those of you that are gray-haired and you're older, we praise you for taking the time to invest in love in these young people. Life has purpose and meaning and value. Speaking for myself, I'm so glad. So glad that I had a woman in my life was able to form and fashion and shape me. So glad for the past 23 years I've had a woman in my life who has formed and fashioned and shaped me. And now I shaped three mini-me's and she deserves a big crown in heaven for dealing with four of me. We're thankful for God for them. I'm thankful to God for those of you that have been here the last 12 years. 
you ladies that have formed and fashioned and shaped me. Sometimes with a wonderful hug when I walk in, sometimes with a nice little scolding. It's okay, I deserved it every single time, I'm sure. But you play an important role. We must never lose these roles in our lives, the lives of our future generations. Amen. Let's pray together this morning as we finish. Father, you are a great God. You have done great things. God, here you are. You've taken, taken a bunch of clay in the dirt and you've fashioned us into beautiful, wonderful creations. Men and women who reflect you, share your love and your goodness to this world. pray as our culture and our society is rapidly changing and trying to twist definitions of reality that we as a church would stand strong in the truth of the gospel. God, I pray especially for our women here today that they would stand strong raising their children in the love and admonition and fear of God. God, I pray for your blessing and your hand, your strength, your goodness to be upon them. For those that are single, whether they're young and haven't gotten married or divorced or widowed, I pray, pray that you'd give them the strength that they need. Lord, a biblical woman is not someone who hides and cowers in the corners but faces this world with strength and courage and that dignity and beauty at the same time. Give them that strength to do that. And we as a church continue to stand strong against the pressures and changes of this world. Lord, not in the spirit of hatred or arrogance or pride, and a spirit of humility that says, there before the grace of God go I. May we love those in our community who are different. May we prove and show them the hope of an ever-loving God who died even for them. Be with us especially.